0: Welcome back, guys. you got Logan Jones here with Evan Knowles. And we just sat down with an awesome founder out of Louisville, Kentucky, Matt Langen, who is founder of a company called Stucco. So Stucco is a software that is helping real estate agents virtually stage homes and apartments by putting 3D renderings and 3D models of furniture and, and different things like that into those pictures that the real estate agents are sending them. And, you know, we went through and looked through some of the stuff on their website and he was, he says this in the episode, you, ha- you almost have to give disclosures about that. This is a, a doctored picture an edited picture because their software does it so well. I guarantee all of us have seen at some point a picture that was edited in this way that has these 3D, this 3D furniture put into it because it looks, it looks completely real. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's hard to distinguish and you know it ultimately helps these agents sell the home faster. It helps them sell it for a higher price because it you know makes the home look better uh, from the photos, and you know provides a lot of a lot of value. And he's got some really cool stuff on the horizon where he wants to take it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you know that's a very cool technology. And the world of you know 3D graphics uh, and 3D animation and the gaming space and the architecture space—they're all coming uh, to a head and really kind of becoming the same thing. And it's really cool to see that space develop. I got an inside look at that uh, when I was at Avail. Uh, And it's very cool. So very cool startup that that Matt is building. Uh, We didn't just talk about Stucco, though we talked about bootstrapping a business, which is what many entrepreneurs do. Uh, If they don't want to give up any equity or any stake in the company and they want to just own it themselves, they want to use their own funds, take their time, you know, bootstrapping is a great way to do that uh, and have control over your company. We also talked about mental... Health for founders. You know, being a founder is very hard. Being an entrepreneur is very taxing, and very stressful. There's a lot that goes into it that people don't consider. We walk through some of those things uh, in ways that Matt deals with them, and he has some great tips related to that. Uh, and then we also talk about product design. So Matt at, at heart is a product designer. Uh, he's designed products for Humana, uh, for the uh, his own healthcare startup. And, you know, he gives a lot of great tips on how founders should be thinking about iterating their product, working with customers, uh, and, and having that customer-first mentality as they're designing their products. Uh, and, and that's something that, you know, I think if you're a founder or somebody that wants to start a company, you, know, you should really pay attention to that part because that's one of the most important parts of starting a company is that you're making sure your product is a reflection of your customers' problems and their needs. So he goes into that really well. But overall, this is just a really great interview uh, for a really cool company in Louisville that is going to be growing. They're raising a seed round, pre-seed round. You know, he said it's kind of uh, somewhere in that range. 400K is what he's looking for. Uh, So, really encourage you to learn about them uh, and check them out. Uh, And if you're a founder, or again wanting to be a founder, listen to this episode because he gives a ton of tips. He's a, he's a veteran. He's been bootstrapping companies for, I think, almost 10 years, uh, and he's had success. He's obviously not needed to go get another job. So uh, he's had success, and I encourage you to, to take a listen. All right, guys. So before we dive into these interviews, we just want to take a second to highlight our sponsors. They're going to be sponsoring season four of the Middle Tech Podcast. Uh, so the first one we're going to go over is Land Betterment Corporation. So they're going to be sponsoring, like I said, all of season four, and they're working hard to bring sustainable developments to uh, Eastern Kentucky, places that need it so badly. What they're doing is taking old and abandoned uh, coal mines and strip mines and putting sustainable businesses in their place that can help support those communities. So definitely go and check them out. Their website is landbetterment.com. They're doing some awesome things in this region. Yeah. Next, we've got uh, Brandon Johnson. So I've personally worked with Brandon Johnson. Uh, he is a lawyer, and attorney that works with uh, businesses, specifically you know, startups in this region. Uh, he is from... Kentucky. He's from Fordsville, Kentucky. He got his law degree from the University of Louisville. Uh, He's worked with Papa John's, Louisville Slugger, Instagram influencers that are making millions of dollars, real estate investors, you name it. Uh, But he loves what he does. He really loves helping small businesses, helping entrepreneurs get the right footing. uh, Because one of the most important parts of starting your business, if you're serious about it, is getting an attorney, making sure that all of your documents and corporation documents, operating agreements, shareholder agreements, things of those nature are in check. And Brandon is there to help you with that. And again, I've worked with him uh, and he does a great job. He makes it fun. He's very personable and I enjoyed uh, working with him. So we appreciate him for, for sponsoring this season. All right, let's go ahead and dive into it. All right. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for joining. You're somebody that uh, we've been wanting to get connected with for a while and uh, our friend on LinkedIn that we actually just connected, Noah Bass or Bass. I think it's Bass. Bass. Noah Bass gave us the connection, which we're grateful for for, because you're on our list of people to record with. So thanks for joining us, man.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Noah's a good guy and uh, happy to be connected with you guys.
0: Yeah. No, we're glad we got the connection made. Uh, Before we get into uh, Stucco, Uh, Let's jump into, you know, your background Uh, briefly, please go over your education, where you're from and professional background up until SECO.
1: Sure. Um, I'll try to compress this as much as I possibly can without putting anybody to sleep, but um, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky, Uh, went to college in um, a small town in Virginia called Lexington, Virginia, a school called Washington and Lee University, Um, graduated there uh, with a business administration, undergraduate degree, uh, capstone was in entrepreneurship. So kind of knew that, um, entrepreneurship was something that interested me and I had a passion for, and, uh, coming out of college, I got a job here in Louisville at, um, a company It was a good company, but not one that I was, um, it's certainly not one that was very entrepreneurial. So. I had a a good experience, good exposure to what it was like to work in a corporate environment and um, saved up enough money to uh, think that that was enough to comfortably start my own venture after 10 months of working there. Uh, And so I had co-founded a healthcare software company um, in 2010 called DigiDoctor. And I ran that company for about five and a half years. We bootstrapped it the entire time. Um, I oftentimes refer to that as my graduate program because, uh, I had had no formal education in software development or software design. And yet here I was, um, bootstrapping a healthcare software company. Uh, I think it's just one of those things where you're young and you're confident for no reason whatsoever, but, uh, you just think that you can do it. And so I thought that I could do it and, uh, kind of learned the hard way for, um, for a little bit, but had a great experience and, um, we had some success. Um, uh, but ultimately we transitioned out of that business transitioned our, our customers, um, elsewhere, uh, kind of sunset that business amicably. And, um, then, uh, transitioned over to, uh, Stucco eventually. So that's that's where I am. Started this company uh in January of twenty fifteen and nice. went full time on it uh probably about eighteen, eighteen months ago or so.
0: Thanks. Congrats, congrats yeah. on going full time, that's a big deal. That's Thanks. A, that's a good good point to be at. So just to back up right before we start talking about stucco, you had mentioned that you know you knew entrepreneurship was interesting to you. Um, what, what in your life pointed you towards that interest? Did you have some, uh, experience with that growing up? Were your parents like that? What, what, what attracted you to it?
1: Um, so my father, he is a, uh, my father's a home builder, um, and home builders, uh, it was his own home building business. Um, before that he was, um, he owned a, uh, home goods company, like a, uh, like a furniture, and home goods company, um, did some interior design work there as well. Uh, so he was, he was, and still is an entrepreneur. I didn't know that that's what you kind of would use to refer to what he was. Like I didn't, I wasn't even familiar with the phrase or the term entrepreneur, um, until maybe college, um, but he was certainly an entrepreneur. I mean, he, he had started all the companies and and self-funded, um, you know, the companies that he ran and, um, I had exposure to that my entire life. So I think that my dad was probably, um, my first, uh, sort of time that I got to, to see one in the wild.
0: Yeah. And let's talk about Stucco as a company. So give us the high level overview of what you guys do. And then kind of take that and dive into where the idea for the company came from.
1: Yeah, sure thing. So um, what Stucco is today is very different than what it was originally uh, founded to do. Uh, Today, Stucco is primarily a virtual staging company. And for those who aren't familiar with um, what virtual staging is and how it works, I'll I'll just kind of offer a quick overview of that. So most commonly, um, our customers are residential real estate agent uh, located throughout the United States, and they will have a property um, that is about to hit the market or maybe has been on the market for a little bit, but just isn't getting as much demand as is they're hoping for. And so they will send us photos of the properties that they represent. Um, and we will most commonly add photorealistic um, renderings like digital renderings of furniture and decor to the photographs of those properties, um, so that we can help communicate to buyers what those spaces true potential are, um, and, you know, get buyers excited about the intended use and the true potential that they have. And so those virtually staged photos are then used by the agent to, um, to help drive more demand for their listings, so it's an alternative to hiring an in-person uh, traditional stager, and it's, it's a much faster and more affordable alternative. Um, there's some other benefits associated with it too, but that's, that's always top of mind for our customers.
0: Yeah. And we, I, we both went and looked around on your website before hopping on this call. And you know some of these pictures, you would never be able to tell that it was virtually staged unless you were told by someone that it was. It's pretty, pretty incredible what you guys are able to do with, with your software. Thank you
1: very much. Yeah. Um, it's incredible. I, I really can't take all, much credit for the quality of the software itself behind the scenes. We we leverage um, kind of a portfolio of, of third-party software to perform some of the magic, um, as well as some internal systems and tech that we have. But uh, it is really incredible how far the technology has come, just in the five years that I've been running this business. And it's only going to get better. So, uh, sometimes it's really difficult to tell. Uh, so, disclosures are important um, for our customers uh, because of how realistic the, the work is. It's important that they disclose to buyers um, that the photos have been virtually staged just to ma- help manage some expectations.
0: Sure. Absolutely. I was thinking about that as I was looking. I was like, how many pictures have I looked at that were virtually staged that I probably couldn't even tell. Um, but tell us about where the name came from, Stucco.
1: Yeah, so this is, uh, so Stucco was originally, it, it came out of what originally um, Stucco was intended for. Uh, and I originally created Stucco um, on the side to help my brother, uh, who was taking over my father's home business at the time. And um, my father had run the business kind of in an old school fashion, which I think a lot of um, home builders do that. You know, He built the business through word of mouth, really didn't have any sort of digital presence whatsoever. My, my brother, who's 10 years older than I am, was taking the business over and I um, wanted to help him increase kind of his digital footprint uh, for that business to kind of help him transition into the business and uh, position the company well for kind of the future of people discovering um, just about any service or product online. So Stucco originally was a a portfolio site or like a show and tell site for home builders, a, a way for them to showcase their work. And um, there are three primary activities that a user would do back then, which is to uh, create posts, basically to like publish um, photos of their work um, to collaborate with others. Like basically they would post and then other people would see them and get inspired by them. And so you kind of have an opportunity to. Uh, communicate, like, you know, save those items. And that actually brings me to the third third thing that you can do, could do on the site, and you still can do that now, is to collect items. So it's basically organizing these photos of inspiration that have been posted by other users into albums. And so, you know, now, of course, we have Pinterest, um, which does an an excellent job of that. Uh, But those are the three primary activities that a user could do back then. Um, of course there are three C's in the name stucco too. And stucco is a, is obviously a building material. So, and we're primarily, you know, uh, speaking to home builders. Uh, so that's sort of how it came to be. I also knew that, uh, Stucco would inevitably evolve over time. So, I wanted a word that we could actually define. We could actually have some flexibility in terms of defining what stucco is as we learn more about the customer and improved, Um, which, you know, Google, Amazon, you know, Yahoo, uh, it worked out pretty well for them. So, it was kind of in the same vein as that. We didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves with a specific, you know, too specific of a name.
0: Smart. And you guys have iterated, you mentioned on your product. So you, you said earlier, you know, what you started as is nothing like what it is now. You had told us when we, when we talked before this call that, you know, you're, you're, you're a product designer um, at heart and you're self-taught. Talk, talk us through, uh, especially for those listening that are entrepreneurs, like, how did you iterate on the product? When did you, when did you know when to iterate? Walk us through that, that whole process of how the, you know, products evolved and why.
1: Yeah. I mean, this could be like a five hour conversation. Um, but, uh, you know, you, you know, when to iterate when it's not resonating clearly with somebody. Um, so it's just, when we first rolled out, um, the portfolio site for home builders, uh, I was dumb enough to think like, if you build it, they will come, which is kind of shocking because, uh, you know, I had i had been building tech and designing tech for you know a handful of years prior to that. Um, but what's interesting on the DigiDoctor side, before I started Stucco, we had a problem with actually shipping the technology, actually developing it fast enough. And um, you know, security is obviously extremely important in healthcare. Uh, and so with Stucco, we're very good at shipping tech. And so we, had, I had solved that problem. And so we we're pumping out you know, features and, and uh, we had pumped out this platform. And I thought, oh, well, if I can just build this, then I'm sure it'll succeed. And um, we, we rolled it out and it was like literally crickets. So I would have done it totally opposite had I done it over, you know, I would have spoken with a ton of prospective users and learned if it was gonna cut through the noise when I was kind of describing what we we're uh, in the process of building. But of course, I didn't do that, um, and so we built it. I reached out to other home builders outside of my immediate family, and uh, we kind of found out that they were interested, but it was it was lukewarm. You know, it, it didn't just clearly resonate. It wasn't like I could send an email and then somebody would reply back and be like, "Tell me more." Um, and so. I think as an entrepreneur building any type of product, the goal is to be able to describe what you're doing and to immediately get the resonance um, from the customer. Uh, Now, it doesn't have to be from everybody, but it has to be from your specific customer. Um, And so we just didn't, it it just wasn't resonating immediately. So that's when we really started talking to all sorts of different users, um, other different types of uh, home professionals and kind of learning what is it about our product that's good? What is it that isn't so good or that you're already solving with other products? And so that's when kind of our iterations started happening. Uh, so since then, I mean, we're extremely close to our users. Um, we have so many channels of communication that we just try to open up all the time. And that's where the vast majority of our enhancements and also our product, product roadmap comes from is those conversations with with the customer,
0: yeah, and just to kind of keep it on this topic of of iterating on the product and listening to the customer, uh, do you have any tips for you know the entrepreneurs that might be listening about finding that balance between listening to what the customer is is telling you that they want versus trying to build something that they may not even understand that they want yet? You know, you kind of have that vision for the company. How do you find that balance?
1: Yeah, it's this is a really tough. I don't even, I mean, this is a, that's a really great question um, because you'll, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, like every entrepreneur I think has a little bit of ego. Um, it's interesting. I I once heard that like anybody who's really successful uh, they kind of have these three traits. One is that they they kind of think that they're better than other people. Like they're kind of, they think they're smarter than other people. Um, but also they have like this crippling, like, um, feeling as if they're not good enough and they need to kind of keep proving themselves. Um, and then thirdly is just self-discipline and focus on a specific task for extended periods of time. Um, and so, Uh, To go back to the first one, the little bit of ego, when it comes to product, if you're not checking your ego as an entrepreneur, you can get in a real bad spot because you think like, oh, these people, they're not getting it, but I actually know better. That's a really dangerous place to be because as an entrepreneur, you could develop a product that is absolutely amazing, but the market's not ready for it. And here you are selling it and you're 10 years ahead. Well, that means you have to stay in business, you know, paying down your bills for 10 years until the market matures to meet you. Um, And you also have to like create demand to then serve. Like you have to basically educate the customer that they need this product before you can then start to sell them. So the sales cycle is going to be a whole lot longer. Um, And I think that Steve Jobs said when he released the iPad, you know, he was like, people were like, oh, you know, um, people don't need this iPad. They already have a laptop. And he's like, no, they need it. Like I, I know that they need it. And then obviously the iPad was, was a huge success. And so I think just anecdotally people think, oh, I can kind of create this demand. Well, I mean, that's Apple, right? Apple can, (laughs) Apple can create demand. I was actually going to bring
0: that up as an outlier too.
1: Yeah. Like they, they can manufacture demand. I mean, they're, they have all of these, um, huge uh, competitive advantages like endless cash uh, to create demand um, and to kind of change the market. But as an entrepreneur, I think especially as a bootstrapped entrepreneur or somebody who has limited funds, you know I think it's important to you, you really need to respond to the market like where the market is right now. but then what you need to do is you need to be just ahead of your competitors. Because if you're behind the competitors, then you're playing catch up right so you have to be ahead of like your product roadmap has to be slightly ahead of where your customers um, mindset is in this moment um, so for for instance with virtual staging, if we had rolled out virtual staging just three or four years ago, first of all the technology wasn't really mature enough so the end product wasn't going to be great but the other thing is that like, people weren't comfortable communicating, collaborating with people digitally. You know, the market, the market wasn't there. There was still very much like, I need to interact and see somebody. I need to feel, you know, the product. I need to experience the product in the home, stuff like that. So if we had rolled out this offer three or four years ago, around when Stucco started, it probably wouldn't have succeeded. Um, if I'd started building this product three or four years ago, and then the market moved into um, our offer, we probably would be doing better now than we are, um, but it would have been a long road, right? Like I probably, I might have even given up on it if I had reached out to my um, customers three or four years ago and they just said, this, you know, this isn't for me. So I think it's important to understand where the market is, but then just to be a little bit ahead of the market in terms of what your product roadmap is, um, so that you can cater to them as you can kind of predict they'll evolve. Um, I hope that's not too kind of abstract of a concept, but, uh, you know, I, I do think that it's important to always be thinking about where things are heading but to be cognizant of where people are right now because that's who you're ultimately serving. And that's ultimately how you're going to, you know, generate revenue today.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's a great answer. That, that was well, well, well explained, well thought out, you know, and speaking of you know the market, you kept mentioning you know, the market and talk about early uh, in Stucco when you were actually engaging with the market and you were acquiring your first customers, you know, you're bootstrapped. So, you know, it's a, you, you didn't have any funds to really put, necessarily large marketing budgets behind your launch you know like like many startups you know they, they get these they raise money and they've got these budgets for you know their launch uh talk about that grind at the beginning of talking to the market engaging with the market and getting those first customers and what that was like and share some tips for others that are bootstrapping on that front
1: yeah for sure i mean so i should also say that you know i didn't just jump in well i i guess i said that it was this earlier which is i started stucco about five or six years ago but i only went full time on it about you know a year and a half ago so i think what's really important for me to just um communicate with those who are listening maybe considering to uh, to start something or to bootstrap something is that you don't have to go all in at the beginning in fact i wouldn't recommend it you know i was i was doing a lot of consulting um during those years when i was working on stucco but I was not full time on stucco and so that was that enabled me to cash flow the development of stucco and to also make decisions that weren't rushed. You know, I wasn't just throwing crap up against the wall out of desperation to, you know, generate revenue or to manufacture demand or something like that with stucco because I had, you know, I, I was able to pay my bills through the means of generating revenue elsewhere. So I think it's important, um, that I, you know, that I just communicate that with th- those who are listening. And, and if you are moonlighting on something that is, that doesn't mean that it's not something you should feel guilty about. Um, I, I felt that I'm bringing that up because I felt that way previously. I was like, well, you need to be all in, um, And I don't think that's true. I don't think somebody should be all in until they've achieved product market fit, you know, until their offer truly is resonating. And they understand that they can build on top of that and really create a business around that, you know, what's resonating today. Uh, So that's what I would recommend is, is to keep iterating on the product until you achieve a product market fit. And then you should have the confidence enough to go in, all in full time. But in terms of like how you get those first customers, um, uh, specific to the question that you asked, um, I would just always try to leverage your sphere. You know, I mean, who do you know that can help give feedback? Who do you know that's willing to be a first customer? Um, whether that's your friends or family members or a mutual um, contact in a Facebook group. Um, You know, these are, these are good kind of safer ways to have really honest and intimate conversations. Um, Beyond that, I think the path of least resistance is to run uh, ads. And um, I actually recommend running search ads uh, to as your path of least resistance to an initial sale, because those people are already expressing buying intent. Whereas with Facebook ads, although they're fantastic or can be fantastic, uh, those people might click on something, sign up for something, but they're just bored and trying to, you know, fill up their time when they're in the whole foods, uh, you know, checkout line. Right. So I wouldn't read too much into that. What i what we did and what worked out quite well for us is, you know, we started running ads using search ads, um, because those people were already expressing demand in something and then trying to see if they would transact with us. And then when they would transact, then try to deepen the relationship with those people because they've already kind of expressed a desire and what we have to offer. And then once you achieve, um, Once you're really clear on that offer and the pricing and stuff, then I think it makes sense to kind of scale out on some of these other ad platforms. Um, But that's what I would recommend in terms of once you're ready to kind of invest in in some advertising Um, and to get some feedback from people who aren't, who isn't your mother, whose
0: feedback might be a little bit skewed. Yeah. Makes total sense. And, and yeah. what you were saying about bootstrapping early is you know, that, that, that resonates with me currently. I am bootstrapping a company currently and everybody has different scenarios. You know, My co-founders, you know, they're not going all in and, and full time. Uh, and I, I have an awareness on why. And you know, it's just an open dialogue you got to have with you know, yourself and your co-founders if you're co-founding a bootstrap company and make sure you all are on the same page and transparent with each other and have you know, your all's goals and intents you know, in mind because it can be emotional. Uh, you know, bootstrapping a company. Um, talk about some of the emotions that that come along with you know, not only bootstrapping, but, you know, just being an entrepreneur and how you deal with those. Because I don't think that's often talked about enough is, you know, the emotions that come along with the stresses that come along with being an entrepreneur. Talk about, talk about some of those and how you deal with them.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Um, it's something that I wrestle with on a daily basis. I've been bootstrapping now for about 10 or 11 years. Um, yeah. And yet it's something that I still wrestle with. So, Um, I don't know how qualified I am to giving a ton of advice on this topic, but, uh, entrepreneurship, especially a bootstrapped, um, entrepreneur, it can be very lonely. Uh, so, you know, you spend a lot of time by yourself, uh, with your laptop. Um, and there are a lot of times that you'll doubt whether, you know, what you're working on is going to succeed. Um, you know, You have opportunity costs. You have some pretty significant opportunity costs um, in terms of foregoing, you know, a a well-paying job elsewhere. Um, And I've found that, you know, people who are good entrepreneurs, I mean, they can really succeed elsewhere. Um, So there's some pretty steep opportunity costs. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, you do have to have a lot of self-belief. And I think that you, I think that you earn that confidence and which can kind of quell that, that's some, that skepticism that might crop up on occasion. Um, You can create confidence by just uh, getting close to your customer and understanding that you're creating something that is a value to them. Um, that's the thing that just silences me. Like every, every single time my phone buzzes because somebody just made a purchase. I mean, that's, uh, that just instantly starts kind of eliminating, uh, any type of fear you might have about, you know, inevitably what, what the future might look like. We also collect, um, feedback, like positive feedback from all of our customers. We'll take screenshots, um, of any type of compliment. And we have a huge portfolio of positive customer feedback. Um, It's really important for us to look through that on a regular basis, just to kind of flood our minds with all of the good that we've done and, you know, all of the good, kind of the goodwill that we already have between us and our customers. Um, So I think that that's uh, a really great way to just kind of get back into the right state uh, as an entrepreneur and as a team. Um, but, you know, I mean, this, this topic could go all sorts of different ways. I mean, you know, I have different kind of work, uh, workout regimens or, uh, sleep is very vital, which a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, uh, can oftentimes try to, uh, like hack, which is, you cannot hack your biology in my opinion. So, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely tough. Um, but in my opinion, it's totally worth it. It's totally worth it,
0: 100. percent Yeah, I resonate with with a lot of that with what you just said because I am especially with COVID. Like COVID's, COVID's been different. So I've I've been full time, uh, you know, since since May, so it's several months now. Um, and the lon- the loneliness is real. So coming out of COVID, I'm definitely gonna look for a co co working spot. Yeah. Um, cause you definitely don't want to be, you know, working that hard and stressing yourself out and not have somebody to turn to, even if it's somebody that you might not know well to have a conversation just for a few moments, get your mind off of, off of something. I'm starting to realize that and become self-aware of that as I sit in my room and work on my two monitors and just stare at them all day, you know? Yeah. Um, so I definitely resonate with that. Um, and you know, the other, the other things you mentioned, you know, I, I definitely, I definitely agree. Um, you know, it's something that we could go in a lot of different directions with and, you know, as I've gone through this journey, uh, bootstrapping and, and being alone, I realized how many other components of your life come into entrepreneurship and create a healthy entrepreneurial mind. You know, if you're too much weighted towards, you know, work, you know, th- you're going to burn out. And I've, I've felt that. And, you know, if you're too weighted against, uh, you know, other things that are distracting to you, you're going to feel like you're not getting enough done. And so it is a balancing act of not only your body, your mind and your work, but, you know, also the people around you. It's, it's so true. I'm glad you mentioned all of those things. Uh, but that could go in a lot of directions so let's let 's keep going with the conversation and uh, not go too deep into that. So have you raised any money uh, with stucco? Talk about you know any funds you 've had out um, any third party funds you've brought in
1: yeah so um we 're actually in the process of closing our first round of outside capital right now um, so we're in the process of raising four hundred thousand um, as our our quote unquote seed round, which is kind of. Bizarre to name it that, just because of um, you know all that's been invested into Stucco in the form of cash and, and time up to this point. But it is our first round of outside capital. Um, we just broke escrow um, last week, uh, so we haven't start col- we haven't started collecting yet. But um, we you know did get enough commitments to start the collection process, which is really exciting. Um, prior to that, we did win the render capital competition, which is, um, which is, you know, great vote of confidence, uh, came from Louisville, which is awesome. Um, and, uh, that was a hundred thousand dollar, um, warrant agreement. And then we also won the vote awards, which is a $25,000 grant last year. So those, those two were, were really, you know, fantastic, like shots in the arm, you know, great momentum, great, in great positive indicators. Uh, and it was the first time that I'd ever competed in, in something like that. Was, those are the, the only two things that we actually entered. So it was neat to like receive that sort of positive feedback and, and the cash is always great. And the connections were amazing as well. They were both really good experiences. Um, but to be totally honest, just like that signal of, you know, having one, both of those was, um, that was probably the best thing, just like that confidence, right. Other people indicating that we're on the right path. Um, and it was really good for like team morale and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's that's sort of where we are from a, a funding perspective. Our round is still open technically right now. So if anybody is listening and interested in um learning more, uh, you know, I'd I'd be happy to chat with them about, you know, what our future looks like.
0: Yeah, we have some some VCs that we know are listening pretty frequently. So we have connected startups to VCs. Yeah, it happens our happens, through our upsets, it happens yeah. For sure. Um so let's let's transition this conversation into, you know, you're a startup in Louisville. And we always try to try to get out of the entrepreneurs that we're interviewing, what's going well in their area, You know what their cities are doing well to support entrepreneurs. So what are some things that Louisville is doing really well right now in terms of the entrepreneurship ecosystem?
1: Yeah, what I love about Louisville um, is that all the other entrepreneurs in the area seem to be rooting other entrepreneurs on. It's not like a sort of a cutthroat, like I'm your competition type of thing. It's very much like a... I'm on your side cheering you on. How can I introduce you to other people, whether those are prospective investors or customers or whatever? I mean, it's, it's just a very friendly atmosphere. Um, and that shouldn't be too much of a surprise. I mean, I feel like Louisville is, is sort of that way, um, more broadly. Uh, and, you know, like the vote awards, like render capital, you know, there, there are some really good opportunities locally for funding. I know that that's something that's very typically brought up as a weakness of the Louisville environment is access to capital. And, um, I kind of have mixed emotions about that. You know what I mean? Like, yes, it's not Silicon Valley and, the vast majority of our seed money actually came from outside of the state. So, you know, I guess it's not ideal, but uh, there there is money available in Louisville if you're willing to um, seek it out and if you have a, a company that's worthy of an investment. Um, and I think that with co-working spaces like Story, uh, you know, it's there are more it's easier to, uh, to kind of open up a shop and to have a a physical place in which to operate, um, a company, which I think is exciting. Um, so yeah, I think a Louisville has a lot going for it. It's also the cost of living is also, you know, fantastic. Uh, so it's a nice safe place to sort of test an idea, um, and, uh, kind of a low cost way to, uh, develop tech and, to start conversations with customers, um, and achieve product market fit. And these days, you know, you can connect and, and work with anybody anywhere. So, uh, you can be located in Louisville and spend, you know, 10% of what you'd spend in, in the Valley, uh, and you can still access talent if you're willing to look for it, you know, online.
0: Yeah, bootstrapping yeah. Would probably have been way
1: harder on the, one of the coasts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it would have been impossible. Yeah. There's no way I would have, I wouldn't be here working on on stucco if I'd tried to start this in, in the valley
0: six yeah. years. Ago. Yeah, and you know you talked about it there. It's you mentioned it as being kind of a strength the access to capital. We've heard it. We've heard it both ways. Uh, we talked to um, uh, John Wilmoth at Poplar Ventures, and you know he, mm-hmm. his stance was if your company is worthy of investment, it's going to find investment. I'm really interested to see. How COVID is going to affect this area in terms of access to capital going forward? Because now some of these, you know, venture capital firms are much more willing to invest in companies that are not in their own backyard. Whether it's a V or whether it's a Silicon Valley VC firm, or you know, we just talked to Drive Capital not too long ago on on a phone call. Those VC firms are are becoming much more okay with getting on a, a Zoom call with a founder and then investing based off of that. So I'm wondering if we're going to see more of that investment come in and the VC firms around here are going to start saying, okay, maybe we should be more, you know, seek out more risk. I'm wondering if that's going to have any sort of impact on, on the way funding is uh, distributed around, around the startup community here. Well,
1: I think it is. I mean, I'll just say like, first of all, this is the first outside money that I've ever raised. So I, I can't really compare it to a previous experience, but I would, I would think it'd be kind of a fair assumption to make that, um, if I tried to raise outside capital 10 years ago versus now 10 years ago, I would have had to drive to Indianapolis. In fact, I, I did drive to Indianapolis one time to talk to a VC about possibly investing in, in my previous company. But, um, you know, like they would have absolutely scoffed at the idea of jumping on like Skype or, you know, and, and. God forbid, investing in what you're doing, uh, you know, remotely. And so now like the appetite for being able to connect like this and, you know, have me send them all the information that they might need to do the due diligence and all and everything like that, like there's no resistance to that whatsoever. And so yeah. I mean, most, like I said, most of our capital for this round has come from um, outside Kentucky. And so that was purely done with Zoom and um, links to our data room, our private data room. And um, yeah, so it's uh, in a lot of ways, I think it's probably going to benefit yeah. the entrepreneurs in the Mid-
0: Midwest. Yeah, agree for sure. Um, so let's give you some time to to kind of critique Louisville as well and, and time to say what Louisville could be doing better. What are some things that come to mind when when thinking of uh, tips and, and ideas for what Louisville could do better?
1: Well, I don't think Louisville has, and, and by the way, this critique doesn't necessarily mean it's an impediment to an entrepreneur. Um, but the critique is that I don't think Louisville has a whole lot of design and technical talents. Um, so when I started Stucco, I was consul- I was doing a lot of consulting over at Humana. Um, I was doing a lot of user interface and user experience design and stuff over there, and they were really having a difficult time finding great design talent in the city. Um, and most of their uh, tech talent was not sourced in the city either. You know, they had a, they had a huge presence up in Chicago at the time, and a lot of offshore people. Um, if Humana can't find that talent locally, <laughs> who's finding that talent? You know, I mean, it's certainly probably not another, probably not a bootstrapping entrepreneur. Um, so I think that there's a lack of technical and design talent in Louisville. And I don't know if that's a product of, um, you know, the students that are graduating here locally, uh, or, or what that is, but I do think we need more talent. And it sounds like the Microsoft future of work, um, is, is making some good inroads with that. I know that are trying to kind of reverse that trend, but if you're a, if you're a great designer or a great developer here locally, you will not have a hard time finding an opportunity. Um, And I I still think that's the case. You know, there was a, I think there was a real big push for that, you know, five years ago, but I still think that that's very true.
0: Do you, uh, you know, to the point of COVID, you know, designing now, you know, that's a remote act in a lot of ways. So, um, you know, Louisville might not have that talent, but have you explored and have you, how, how much have you looked at, you know, Fiverr or Upstart? And is that the same thing that you're talking about? You know, is there a difference between design and what you're talking about and what you can just get a freelancer to do? Talk about, you know, now that we're in this new age, does that problem go away for Louisville or not?
1: Yeah. So that problem, and that's kind of why I said my critique of Louisville is not necessarily an impediment to an yeah. entrepreneur who's open-minded. Yeah. I mean, I, we do not have another full-time employee in Louisville, Kentucky now, and that's not by design. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want it that way. And as we grow, you know, I intend to not keep it that way. Um, but all of our designers and all of our developers are not in Louisville, Kentucky, you know, they're, they're elsewhere. Um, they're all across the country. Uh, they're in, um, some of them are in Serbia, some are in Chandigarh, uh, India. I mean, like some are in Vietnam, Um, most of our designers are in the United States. Uh, but you know, this is, at the end of the day, it's not about, um, you know, who can show up next to you at their desk, the best it's about who can get the highest quality of work done, um, consistently and reliably. Uh, so that we can serve the customer and delight them as effectively as possible. So if you're willing to look elsewhere and you're good at managing that team, um, you have some systems in place to do that, then you can find the talent elsewhere. It's not a problem whatsoever. Uh, That's a,
0: that's a discussion we might have to have on another episode. There is working with the distributed team and managing that, you know, we've had several guests on, uh, that are doing that. And another one that comes to mind is pod chaser. Um, mm-hmm. Bradley at Pod Chaser um, is doing that and has had great success with that. So you know, that's probably a subject we could you know do a better job of talking about more you know, now, especially with given the landscape. Uh, that, yes, that's, that's a good point that you made. So we always want to end on you know forward-looking statements uh, that are optimistic uh, about the future. And so give us your forward-looking statement briefly on you know Stucco and then hone it into Louisville as well on where you see this this region in Louisville going.
1: Yeah. <laughs> It's a good question. Um, I certainly think a lot more about stucco than I do about Louisville, which is, uh, but I'm going to try to answer both questions. So, um, forward thinking for stucco in terms of kind of where we're going, um, our next phase is, uh, you'll be able to not only see a virtually staged design, but you'll be able to shop from it. So that not only will that design be an inspiration, but it can also, um, kind of be realized. Uh, So you can imagine when shopping for homes, not only will you be shopping for homes, but you'll actually be able to see the items that are shown in those homes. Um, So essentially what we are building is a new platform and distribution mechanism for retailers to showcase their products in people's homes when people are moving into and out of homes, which is actually the perfect moment in time and the perfect way to show people products that can be purchased. Um, so we've, we're solving kind of personalization, but also timing. Um, and we're doing it in a done-for-you fashion. Like we're actually showing the products in people's homes for people. They don't actually you know, have to do any work themselves. So um, that's, that's really where we're heading as a business, which is extremely exciting to me. Um, and then, uh, I'm going to actually stop there, (laughs) (laughs) uh, because I don't want to kind of share everything that we're working on, but that's in the immediate future. We're very much working on retail integration right now. That should be live. The first phase of that should be live in the next month or two. Um, and, uh, yeah, so in terms of, um, Louisville, You know, I think that uh, Louisville needs to do some work. Um, I think Louisville needs to do some work training up some more design um, and tech talent. I think that Louisville needs to do a little bit more work in terms of access to funding. I think that Louisville has made a lot of strides in both, um, you know, categories uh, recently, but also Louisville kind of has this identity of like, it's never going to be Silicon Valley um, and nor do I think it should be. So it's sort of like, A, we should embrace what we're good at and then maybe improve a little bit of where we're weak at. So I think it makes a whole lot of sense for Louisville to double down on, on things like bourbon and, you know, health insurance and, (laughs) uh, you know, thing and in college sports and things like that, like things that are our assets, right? Any, any good business would know that you, if you've got something working, you keep, doubling down on what's working. Um, but then in the meantime, kind of try to future proof yourself, uh, kind of work a little bit on where you're weak. And so I think that, you know, Louisville can definitely improve, uh, in those topics that, that I already covered, but, um, they shouldn't do it at the risk of, uh, you know, not continuing to focus on what's working for us. So, uh, I love Louisville for what it is. It doesn't need a change. I think it just needs to kind of polish up on some of its its rough edges.
0: Yeah, love that. Well, man, thanks for joining. Uh, really yeah. enjoyed the conversation. I think you shared some very important tips with the audience, especially for those that are bootstrapping or getting started uh, from the lines of you know, just how to navigate a, boot, a bootstrap company emotionally, what's it like to be an entrepreneur, and ways to think about you know designing a product. I think that there's a lot to take away from this episode, so we really appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much. Awesome questions. And uh, maybe we can do a round two sometime because there's so much to talk about. It's, it really is fun.